The Beyonce concert takes a sharp left. There's mayhem in D.C. as severe weather sends concertgoers fleeing for shelter. We know that aloha means hello and goodbye, but a lot more goodbye lately as thousands flee the Lahana wildfires. The part of this story you probably haven't heard yet is how it impacts your health. And new data for quarter two of vehicle sales in California shows that one in four new cars sold in our golden state is now zero emission. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nate. We're two OBGYNs who care about the environment and how it affects our patients. So in 2020, we published the first paper about climate change and pregnancy in a top medical journal. It had tables and everything. The day the paper came out, the New York Times wrote about our findings. And 10 hours later, Joe Biden tweeted at us. Then a bunch of other things happened. So now, like everybody else, we've got a podcast. Welcome to the Green Docs. In this episode, we'll be at the School of Medicine at UC San Diego for the Heat and Human Health Summit. I'm going to get to speak about impacts on pregnancy as well as lead a panel discussion. But for this episode, we'll be interviewing some people who are attending the summit as well as folks helping to put on the conference. I'm Bruce Bacar, a Southern California OBGYN. I'm an environmental activist. I was actually on the small team of people that helped to launch the first chapter of Surfrider Foundation here in San Diego back in 1992. And I'm Nate DiNicola, a perpetually post-call OBGYN in Southern California and the environmental health expert for our national OBGYN society, ACOG, and the international OBGYN city called FIGO. So Bruce, it's been, it sounds like a pretty active week for you with the H3 Heat and Human Health Summit. Uh, so a lot of exciting stuff we'll talk about for that, but what else is new in your life? I did go to see Barbie, as we talked about in the last episode. I did not rock a headband. I still actually enjoyed the movie. It was a lot more, I think, deep than I anticipated. It wasn't just fashion fluff. We could talk about it the whole episode, but suffice it to say, I thought it was pretty good. So did, did you have an answer to uh, our question we posed last time of, does Barbie need a gynecologist? I think uh, without spoiling the movie for those who still haven't seen it, the answer seems to be yes. I think she does. Another thing that's going on this week, which I just have to mention because it's we're in the peak of summer right now, is that the surf has come up and the water temperature has also gotten to be really comfortable. So I've been getting in the water every day or every other day just for an hour, but God, it just... It's so great. So nice to be in the ocean right now. How about you? Have you been in the water? Well, we'll come back to that in a second, but, but I can't move on until we do find out what you wore to Barbie. Were you Ken enough? <laughs> did, you, did you rock anything uh, in, the, in the pink genre? Well, my date wore pink, and I decided in order to reflect her brilliance that I would contrast it with a pale powder blue. I had a nice pair of faded jeans and a, one of my favorite linen shirts, which has got some soft blues in it. So I think I was appropriately fashionable and yet semi-invisible as well. So together, you guys look like those newborn baby blankets, that the, the blue, the pastel pink and blue. We'll have to get a picture. We'll have to get a picture to add to our, uh, our, our TikTok. So on, on the note of uh, getting in the water, yeah, the water's been gorgeous. Been like perfect temperature, no wetsuit needed. Yeah, I've been out body surfing at least a few times a week. Have not encountered any of the sharks that James Stewart talked to, to us uh, about on our episode Baby Shark. That's always a nice thing. But have seen dolphins like almost every time out there. So the dorsal fins have been popping up. Uh, and I've got to say, we see them so often now, you kind of just get used to them. 
always makes me happy to see them. I uh, get a lot of visits from them down here too, and it just seems like they are an incredibly peaceful and, and reassuring creature. So yeah, we see them all year long, but it seems like now we're out amongst them a lot being out in the water. It's great. So I was also recently by some other water where there are many, many sharks. We had a family wedding vacation to uh, Puerto Vallarta, which is right there along the Sea of Cortez, known to be the the great white shark nursery, as well as the nursery for many other water animals. Did not see any sharks there either, but did see a, uh, a tortoise late at night. Did you get out in the water with them? No, this was on land. We saw the tortoise. We were walking back from a very late night boat cruise. We got back around midnight and we're walking back to the hotel along the beach. So in pitch black and almost stumbled upon, upon the tortoise. How big was it? These things are not small. Uh, it was clearly an adult tortoise. I don't know, four feet, three, four feet. It, it was sizable. We thought she might have been laying eggs. And so we were worried we like disrupted the nest. But uh, actually the hotel where we were staying has a, a tortoise sanctuary. All the baby tortoises are like incubated there. And then they release some, it's, it's, it's steps in the water. Cool. It's always fun when you travel to see what animals are there that we don't normally see around here. Anyway, let's jump to our headlines. I had mentioned Beyonce's concert. Uh, it was crazy. The heat and heavy rain and strong winds and lightning. Basically a climate-fueled earth, wind, and fire. Was the warm-up act for Beyonce last Sunday night at the FedEx Field in D.C. 50,000 concertgoers had to shelter in place crammed under stadium roofs until the worst of the weather abated. And then I guess soggy ladies put a poncho on it and danced. This is yet another stanza in, in a symphony of extreme weather this summer. And Nate, as you pointed out a couple of episodes ago, it's not just that these weather freak events are bad, it's that they seem to keep getting worse. Well, Bruce, I think you're going to take the, the reins for the, the most puns in one episode now. I'm, I'm going to be relieved of that label for a little while. <laughs> I loved all those. And Earth, Wind, and Fire? Total aside here, but their song. Do you remember the 21st night of September? That is the day with the most babies born. It's the most common birthday in history, September 21st. A totally and, random fact. Where do you get that one? Well, it came from a real-life experience where uh, I was doing a C-section. Uh, this was on call in, in DC. And it was one of those that like, we kind of started the process before midnight, but the baby ultimately was delivered after midnight. And so it, it was on September 21st. And I promise this truly was just random coincidence. That song by Earth, Wind and Fire was playing as the baby was being born. And so we're just like, well, this baby has its, its song for life. You know, it's like, couldn't be in more perfect timing. So it always just, it always stood out to me. But on the note about this, this concert, yeah, I, I don't know how much more there is really to say about it other than the consequences of our climate crisis are hitting you everywhere. You know, I mean, we talk about the health impacts because that's our expertise as physicians, but I think it's also worthwhile pointing out that it's affecting all these other parts of life that we kind of expect to be able to enjoy. And whether it's turbulence on the airplanes, like we talked about in the past, or extreme heat in the golf course, like I experienced in Puerto Vallarta. Or now, you know, not be able to attend a concert. It's really kind of just seeping into like daily life. Yes, and not in any pleasant way at all. We'll be talking more about that later this episode. Yeah, so next we're, we're getting to Maui, the wildfires in, in Lahaina. There's been so much covered on this. So, so we're not going to, I don't think, recap all of the catastrophe happening there. But there are some health implications to this that I have not heard much on the news. And I think people might be curious to know. The first 
was actually one that we heard repeated at the summit that we attended this weekend, which is that wildfires of any kind, so not, not just these ones in Maui, will basically aerosolize the biomass that they're burning. And it is not just bad for the air quality that we've covered many times about its PM 2.5, uh, which has the ability to get inside the body and affect blood vessels, including cross the placenta. But this aerosolized biomass also is a vector for spreading infectious disease. You know, Can we just have a, a moment to, to define some terms? I don't want our listeners to go running for Google and figure out what aerosolized and biomass are. So do you, do you care to translate those big, those big medical terms, Mr. Fancy Pants? Hey, I want people to use the dictionary. <laughs> Let's get it. That's a great use for Google. But yeah, sure. Uh, good. Thanks for keeping me in check here. Uh, so aerosolizes, it just means it, it kind of turns into something that is gaseous or something that is inhalable. If you burn a piece of paper, that smoke that comes out is aerosolized. Anybody who has asthma takes their medications, at least a lot of people, in one form of like an aerosolized version of the medication when you have the inhaler. And then uh, biomass, yeah, I, I think this one's actually sort of intuitive, but it's all the biological material that are in any given area. In this case, the biomass would be the not only the trees and the leaves, but also the soil that all gets burned and basically lifted up into the air in a way that now you can breathe it and inhale it. Whereas before you couldn't like inhale dirt, unless you're my brother when he was five years old. <laughs> well, there you go. I think we get it. The stuff on the ground that normally does not get into the air and, and harm us by way of our lungs now is suddenly lifted up by these fires. And as we've been talking about, that stuff gets carried way beyond where the fire is, too. So, Bruce, what about your headline? Finally, some uplifting news. What, uh, what can you take away from California leading the way on electronic vehicle sales? Well, the numbers are impressive. Uh, the trend is even more impressive now that just for context, up until 2021, electric vehicle sales were somewhere well below 10% of the total in California and certainly nationally. But that is really changing rapidly. And this is data from the California Energy Commission that follows new car sales. And almost 126,000 electric vehicles were sold in, in the second quarter in 2023, which is up almost 60% from the year before. And nationally, electric vehicle sales were over 370,000, which is also a big new record. And on a personal note, I've been hearing about FedEx and, and UPS trucks and all these soon-to-be electrified delivery vehicles, and they go by my office window all day long. I saw my first electric FedEx truck this past week. Certainly, that's not a major sign of anything, but I think if we look at the news in total, we are really in the rapid phase of adoption of electric vehicles, not just in California, but I think nationally and around the world. It's really good to see. So do you know if these include hybrid vehicles in the, in the sale? Are these, are these electric only or they include hybrid? Well, they're electric and they are vehicles powered by anything other than gas. So they are zero emissions vehicles, any kind of, actually some hybrids qualify if they have a plug-in. Some of the Prius models are, I think the Prius Prime has limited range electrical capacity, but the new version is better. Fuel cell cars, hydrogen cars. I think the great majority are pure electrics, things like Teslas and all the other electric options that are showing up and, and uh, we see more and more around here in San Diego. But no, just a plain hybrid doesn't count. But if it has a plug in, it does. I, I'm just wondering, it sounds like my car probably would have counted in these sales. 
because it does plug in. Kendall's mom was recently kind of envious of my car and thinks it'll be a classic because they're not making them anymore. The hybrid BMWs are now converting all to electric. I mean, it sounds like it's uh, the market showing us that they, there's an appetite for it. I think it'll be interesting to see how people adapt to kind of the, the range anxiety of not being able to gas up the way they're, they're used to. I know for myself, that was one of the reasons I got the hybrid was I just wasn't quite there. But as you point out, these with our, the Shell story from a few episodes ago, these uh, electric charging stations becoming much more findable and plentiful and uh, might even be kind of a fun road stop break. You could stop and hang out there for a while. Yeah, this whole business of range anxiety, that was very real when I was driving a Nissan Leaf and it had an 80-mile range. And I used to go back and forth to my mom's house in San Clemente. But now that the majority of electric vehicles have ranges north of 200 miles, and I also like to say that my bladder only has a range of about 250 miles, it's no longer an issue for most of us. And charging stations are becoming much more plentiful, as you say. Change has taken root, and I think people are going to find so many positive things as a, as a result. Is that one of the dials on your car, your, uh, your, your, your bladder, <laughs> bladder range? Like, is there a biometric wearable that can be, because that could be really useful, actually. Like, comparing, <laughs> I, for a lot of road trips, for a lot of families out there, young and old, I think that would be a really useful marker. No, I don't need a meter on my car, actually. I have this sort of built-in signal that tells me when it's time to, to pull over and visit the restroom. But anyway, the Tesla that I'm driving now has a range of over 350 miles, so I can go along a, a lot further in my car than I can between needed stops. So uh, I think this whole business of range anxiety is an outdated term, and people will find that out pretty quickly. Let's go to the summit. In this episode, your intrepid green docs go on the road to the Heat and Human Health Symposium at the UC San Diego School of Medicine in La Jolla, California. Our special guest will be Dr. V. Wynn, Assistant Chair of Pediatrics with Kaiser Permanente here in San Diego and a climate advocate physician, along with several other notable green achievements within her hospital system and in her community. V. had the timely idea for a heat summit five months ago to bring together healthcare professionals from across the region to learn about our escalating high temperatures and how to best protect patients. But first, we'll talk to a green power couple, two doctors attending today's conference who are married and also doing climate work locally, as well as a second-year med student here at UC San Diego with an interest in health advocacy and equity. So let's meet Dave and Angie first. I'm Dr. Angie Neeson. I am a family culinary and lifestyle medicine physician. David Neeson, uh, emergency physician. You both have kids. Yes. And together. Busy practice. Yeah. And they probably know each other. They do. And, and you have busy practices. Yes. And so why in the world did you get involved with something else in addition to that? Part of it is for your kids. I mean, we would very much like to leave them a livable planet. And they get it. They understand. Um, they probably hear about it more than they should. For me personally, I, um, as part of my career, I, I did primarily disaster preparedness and emergency management. And so there's a lot of crossover between that and climate-related disasters. So that's kind of what got my foot in and made me interested. And I reached out to Nicole Capritz through a friend, and that's how I got into it. That's how I met you. And the rest is history. After I got my foot in the door, I realized that there's so much more to climate and health than just disasters. But that was my introduction to it. So, David, was there any particular disaster that got you into this preparedness planning? Well, wildfire preparation is always kind of biggest. We went to med school in Houston, 
which had just been devastated by a superstorm. And we, um, as part of our medical training, Hurricane Katrina happened in New Orleans. And so we had many, many evacuees, which we were caring for at the Astrodome and City Hall. And so that was part of our medical education from the very beginning, was seeing the relation of these climate-related disasters that infect on uh, displacement of people and how their health, health were affected. So that kind of laid the, the framework. Um, in California, we have different, obviously, climate-related disasters, but they are very much still tied to the climate. So I didn't realize this, but we probably had a lot of uh, classmates overlap because I was at Tulane for residency. Oh, yeah. Uh, the first full year post-Katrina. Right. Oh, we came in um, right after that. And so many of our, our students came to various parts of Texas and, right. and Houston. Yep. Did you guys have any Tulane students come join you? Yes. I was actually on my OB rotation. And we literally, I remember thinking, you know, we were waiting, you wait for babies. And then all of a sudden you're waiting for new moms that are coming and you have no history on them. So that was going to be interesting. Everyone was on board, just like, okay, get ready. Everybody's coming. They're coming in buses, you know. That was how I got involved in this early on. Was, yeah. uh, when Katrina hit, it exposed all these flaws in the preparedness. And I mean, they, they had systems in place, like there was nothing, right? but there just wasn't anything nearly as prepared as what you needed. And there were like a million lessons large. So that was kind of how, how we got into it. And it's been continued work, actually, with Kate Daniels' work at UCSF for this thing called OB Train. So it's how we have common language for triaging. It's like we should talk about, like, like a pregnant mom in labor has a lot of other things to think about for triage than just are they stable or not. Yep. You both noticed that there are more green docs around. There are more yeah. people in healthcare that are getting involved. What's the, the one experience that you've had that stands out the most? For me, it was the courage to ask my organization to choose 100% renewable energy as the only source of option when we had the opportunity to with community community choice energy community choice energy yeah and so what happened there were some discussions they said thank you and we will consider it and then we heard on a meeting um it was a green staff meeting and i was the only physician because apparently nobody's ever asked to be on a green team and they made the announcement and it was fantastic and i was surprised but also very elated and you know they had to spend more money for it but it's an investment it's an investment in our patients and they get they got it they got it so what do you think made the difference for them making that decision? Because it sounds like it was something, had they just not considered it or was just, did they need to be pushed? What happened? I think they were on the fence. I think that they needed to realize that there were others who were watching what their decision was going to be. Kristen Hampshire and I are co-founders of the Sharpery Steely Climate and Planetary Health Committee. And we wrote a letter on behalf of our committee and just said, these are the reasons why they're important. We know that this is helping our patients and we are here to advocate for it. And we are asking you, we are pleading with you to please consider this as the only option. So no threats were made. No, no threats were made. We told them we did work tirelessly through the pandemic so that they would remember that we are dedicated to our work, but also to our patients. So has this happened? If they made the transition or are they, is it, it's underway? It's the, it was the first health system in San Diego. They made news last April, right around um, Earth Day. And we were hoping other health systems would also follow, but they have none. So, Dave, is the other half of this power mm -hmm. climate couple, does anything stand out to you in terms of the actions that you've taken? I know there have been a lot at Kaiser. Yeah, I think Kaiser is a much bigger organization. I haven't really had the traction with doing that locally because uh, so much of it is decided on a national level. 
But I think the support that I've gotten from education has been the biggest thing for me. I think if, at one moment, I would probably choose the symposium that Dr. Rachel Abbott organized. It was April of 2022, I think. It was two years ago. No, it was a year. It was over a year ago. Anyway, it was fantastic. There was residency programs from UCSD and Kaiser, Family Health Center, Scripps. And it's, I think it's just really inspiring to see that how this lands on a younger generation of, of medical trainees. And just it lands differently than it did on, on me. And I was at that meeting, and I think yeah. there were over 100 attendees to that. Yes, yes. So they were from all the different hospitals. All the di- so we had every major healthcare organization represented and putting it on, yeah. including Sharp, Kaiser, Scripps. They just, just of course. young minds yeah. just get it. They do. It's like the language that we speak is not something that we have to explain explain and define and come up with all these. They just get it. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I think part of it is just showing up and realizing that they're not alone and we're still here believing that they deserve a world where people are trying. People are trying and, and that we're behind them and we've not given up. I think... We don't want to keep these people from the next part of the conference, but I do want to ask one closing question from you both, and that is, what would you say to other people in healthcare right now if they are considering getting involved more with what climate is doing to their patients' health? Well, I would echo something that you said in the last session, which is that people will listen to you. They'll at least be polite. Part of our work for the Public Health Advisory Committee is that we speak to you know, electeds, we speak to city council, county board of supervisors, and they may not agree with you, but they're going to be polite. And maybe it's just the letters behind your name, maybe not, and maybe they're just polite people. But I think that whole trusted messenger notion is true. So speak up. You'll be surprised people will listen to you. And I would say that we are adequately trained to connect the dots. You know, I'm a family physician. I can see what's been happening, what goes on in a household from grandma to, you know, mother who's pregnant to baby who's coming to toddler running around. And so we are the best advocates for our patients. And we can link those connections that we read about in medical education. We see in our clinics and our exam rooms and we can extrapolate because we can see the whole life continuum from cradle to grave. And so we can be the best advocates for our patients and for our own families. I know what makes some people hesitate in healthcare is we think we have to go to school for four years uh, to get an advanced degree and pass exams and be mentored. But what you're saying is so important. That is that we know enough already to make a difference. And I tell people, you know, the best doctoring you can possibly do is be a climate activist. That's really it. Yeah. That's a sound bite if I ever heard one. Yeah. All right, guys. You are great. You're a great inspiration. You're great friends. Thank you. You too. Thank you, guys. The Green Docs are here live on location at UCSD's med school campus for the H3 Summit. This is Heat and Human Health, and we're delighted to be joined by one of the medical students here, a second year at UCSD, Carissa Domingo. Carissa, welcome to the Green Docs. Hi, thanks for having me. You were just on a panel where you were talking about advocacy. Is that a big part of your vision for your med school career? Yeah, I would definitely say so. I came into UCSD specifically because of the Prime Health Equity program here. So I'm part of that where we get to do a master's year of our choice between our third and fourth years. And a lot of what I like to do is focus on patient advocacy. And in that master's year, I hope to 
pursue something that will help me do more of that as well. Now, is that something unique here to UCSD, the Prime Health? Or what, what is it again? Health equity. Prime health equity. Yeah. Is um, that just here or other places have it also? All the Most of the UCs have some version of the Prime program, but ours is focused on health equity. We also have one focused on working with indigenous peoples called Prime Tide. Wonderful. Yeah. What have you learned so far at this, at this conference today? Oh my goodness, a whole lot. I Pick, pick your fa- <laughs> favorite, favorite thing you've learned. We were just listening to some people in pediatric talking. One of them in particular was talking about the way that different diseases like viruses and bacteria are spreading further north, especially like along the coast because of rising heat, mostly in like fresh and salt water. That kind of puts a lot of fear in your heart um, <laughs> because that just means these diseases are going to be going around a lot more and harder to work against. But it's also great to know like the research is being done and people are doing what needs to be done. So maybe a future in infectious diseases for you also then. I, it's also interesting. It's hard to choose. <laughs> in this upcoming second year, what, yeah. what are you most looking forward to? That's such a hard question. I feel like everyone's been asking, what are you dreading? Well, we can flip this. What, what are you dreading the least, maybe? <laughs> what am I dreading the least? Oh, in like the least medical way possible. I'm looking forward to the time after I take the board exam step one and get to go and enjoy life for a little bit before starting third year. Phenomenal answer. Do you have any travel plans lined up? I'm hoping to visit the Philippines. My dad immigrated here when he was young and he's the only one of his siblings who's never gone back. That's what I want to do. Well, I can tell you that in the work that I do with our international OBGYN society called FIGO, one of the biggest climate champions and biggest advocates for environmental health is the representative from the Philippines. Oh, really? So there's a lot of work happening there. I don't know if you'll interact with that at all when you're there, but it is uh, they, they definitely are providing a lot of leadership, especially in how to, they call it train the trainees. So like they teach people how to teach other people about climate issues. That's so helpful. Oh, I would love to get a link or something from you on that. That sounds really we'll, cool. We'll put in the show notes. <laughs> cool. It's been really just inspiring to watch so many young people here, medical students, looks like some undergrad students. Is this something that you and your, your friends talk a lot about outside of medicine? Like, is this something that you all are thinking about on a regular basis? I would say yes. I think as part of this generation, like climate change and its effects have just been looming since we've been young kids and we've been knowing what was coming and like are seeing the effects every day now too. So it's just like a general part of life and typical conversation, I'd say now. Very good. Okay, we have a chance to talk to the person who came up with this Heat and Human Health Summit here in San Diego, the first of its kind. It's Dr. V. Wynn. V, tell us, first of all, introduce yourself a little bit. What's your day job when you're not creating conferences that will help save the world? I'm so happy to be here. This is my mentor, (laughs) um, Bruce Quickfire. My name is V. Nguyen. I'm actually a frontline pediatrician. I work at Kaiser San Diego. That's what the job that pays. Um, I'm actually also just... For the last four years, I've been a climate health advocate, um, mostly through the American Academy of Pediatrics. Now, our audience knows something about you because a couple of episodes back, we told the story of Dr. Plastic Picker. Do you still pick up trash on the beat? I do. You know, and honestly, for me, yeah, my story is really simple in, th- in that it helped me just get out 
and just kind of heal from things I had been going through, just going early in the morning to the beach. Anyone who loves the beach knows how healing could be. be. And so my goal was to get to a thousand bags. I'm at technically 792, but I think I stopped counting because I didn't want it this to end. So I'm pretty sure I'm at like 2000 bags, but I still go, I don't go as much as I used to, but I still go pick up trash. And it's just something that's part of my life now. I think you can do both, pick up trash and do advocacy. So it's just part of my whole thing I do. All right. Well, pivoting to advocacy as much as I would love to know every one of the stories behind 792 bags of trash. Where did the idea come from to do a summit in San Diego about heat impacts on health? And tell us a little bit about the origin story of this event. It's funny. It's been a whirlwind of five months of all of us really organizing and preparing for this. And I think what happened is that we were actually at a Climate Actions Campaign Public Health Advisory Council meeting. So it's because as if you don't know, Bruce and I advocate together at this council on local San Diego advocacy. And Nicole, actually, the executive director, had said something about how we don't have a heat officer, that really it's just Dr. Wooten. And that kind of took me aback, that there's not enough funding for getting ready for heat. And then, um, yeah, I think that was the genesis of the idea. And really, we were just on the wetlands at that point. It's Love Your Wetlands a Day. Um, Rewild has a huge coalition, which includes a lot of medical groups who are trying to rewild Mission Bay. And yeah, we're standing at the wetlands heading our table and just naturally people were walking through and we were just talking about heat. That's it. And I pretty much saw a webinar that Dr. Wooten had given to the League of Women Voters, which actually has an environmental justice subcommittee. And that kind of shook me up because it basically said what she had presented today, extreme heat is going to cause a lot of morbidity, mortality. And for me, I thought to myself, wow, like we got to do something about it. Like for me, just like picking up litter. I, I don't want to always bring it back to trash. But my thing is like, I don't like to kick the can down the road, right? I got to pick it up now. And so I was like, we need to do this. And I know as an, a former admin person, assistant chief, you got to get people a deadline. We got to meet, make it cool, give it a good name. That's pretty much it. You know, wrote a one page proposal, sent it around to a bunch of people, got yeses from key people. And that's how it started. And you were there from the beginning. So, um, and I can't believe, I mean, it really is like my wedding today. Very excited. <laughs> my husband needs to take me out more. It's your coming out party. It Not is. that you haven't had many, many other events that you've participated in mm -hmm. and press conferences and speaking at various things and talking to city council people, but you came up with this really, I am tempted to call it a, a cool idea, but I think that that's just a little bit too on the nose for a heat summit. So the summit was born. And as anybody knows you, you're doing your usual thing where you're saying that we all got together, but this is your brainchild. This was something that you created and enrolled. How many people, how many speakers did we have today and how many attendees? Yeah, it's amazing, right? Like I thought initially it would be like 50 people or so. Um, it, we end up having about 270 attendees, a lot of physicians, probably half attending level physicians or residents, a lot of pre-medical students, some people in the community, a lot of public health, nursing MPH type folks. I do have to acknowledge I it I was part of this. I, I you know I think as a woman I was raised to be deferential, but yeah, I am awesome. <laughs> so and I am a woman, I'm a woman leader. And I basically, yeah, I just reached out to everyone. So that's the thing the thing that again, I don't want to bring it back to litter, but in the end of the day, you have to pick it up, right? And I realized that I can't wait. I mean, that's what the climate advocacy has told me, has taught me, is that I'm the answer. I don't I'm not the answer to everything, but I'm the answer to some of it. And I know that you anything that's worthwhile, you have to bring a whole group in. So I pretty much reached out to everyone. And the nice thing is that I'm very connected in the community because I was born and raised in San Diego. So I'm from here. 
So you'll see a lot of people from the South Bay, from Chula Vista, from Benita. A lot of my high school friends who happen to be physicians as well. And I talk a lot. I'm really happy. And I think I'm semi-amusing. And so I would go around and just recruit, recruit, recruit. And I think today we, we activated a lot of people. We got um, Ash Shatazi, the U.S. Women's World Cup team doc here. Really? He's now a kind person. Absolutely. Well, V, you are awesome. <laughs> Very amusing. And like, just to put this uh, in context for our listeners, this is a Saturday morning that you drew these hundreds of people yeah. out for this this heat event. Yeah. Uh, it was not like during mandatory you know, class time. So this, this really was a passion project for you and I think for people attending. Yeah. And that, I mean, it sounds kind of funny, but I've been an admin. I've run departments. I've had budgets of millions of dollars. And but I really, when I started doing climate work and that law that Bruce taught me by advocating, I really went back to my roots, which is like, I'm the daughter of a small businessman and you can't wait, right? You can't wait. You got to do it yourself. And I realized that if I can show people how to do it in a cost efficient, easy manner, it's going to work because if it's meant to be, it's going to be easy. And so, yeah, literally, and my husband, he's part of this whole thing because I told him, I, I said, honey, we'll just pay for it. I mean, how much can it be? Like lunch, right? And I reached out to my friend, Luis, who's uh, part of the medical school here, and he has got the space. And we really just picked, and some of it's like, I am a Girl Scout leader too, by the way. Um, and so some of it, if you know if you're a Girl Scout leader, you just pick the right date. So we picked the one Saturday, we're both free. And then, yeah, it just came from there. And we said, whoever is going to come, will be great. And whatever you can give will be enough. And just having that ethos has brought all these people here. And so it was just said, we are, I am enough. You are enough. Yeah, we're going to make a t-shirt. With, with a V on it. V is awesome. Leaves are relief. One of the things I love about this conference today is how many students and young people I'm seeing here. Have you heard from them about what they're getting out of it? What are they telling you? Some of my climate advocacy is that I used to be a pre-med advisor uh, a long time ago. You, we got free room and board at Harvard when we did that. And so I had that skill set. So it's very natural. I think for a lot of us who are physicians, it's very natural for us to mentor, right? Because we usually have residents and fellows and whatnot. The response from them has been overwhelming. I mean, and I always check in with the youth. So I usually do speak at a lot of pre-med societies and talking to students about climate and health and try to help them in their career. And yeah, and I think that sense of hope because the, the youth, they know. I mean, we're like my generation is behind. And I think them seeing someone and all of us in our age bracket care gives them hope. Because the youth can't do it. That's the thing. Like, that's probably how I got activated because I started picking up trash when the youth climate marches were happening. And the children were marching and Brett Greta Thunberg. And, you know, people were like, oh, the use of answer. I was like, this is embarrassing. These are children. Like I was like, I want I have children and I want them to have a childhood. And so, yes, I agree. I think the youth climate movement is so integral, but we need the generate other generations to come on board. And I really thank both of you for being here because that that you are here and just out in front, it gives them a lot of hope because they got it. They know. You know, so and to have them have this be part of their career, better, like even better. Well, I think it's so important for us to demonstrate what being responsible is. And it is the mess that we have created and not just us, but generations before. But it's up to us. And I, for one, am unwilling to stand by and pass on a world that's spoiled. It's just not OK. I don't have kids of my own, but that doesn't mean it's all right that that your kids have a world that is not nearly as livable as the one that we've enjoyed. And I have to thank Bruce because I came into, I'd been completely burnt out when I started climate work. Uh, well, I was at coming out of burnout and you saw me. I want to cry. 
you saw me, right? And I think when Adam was talking, I talked to Adam, Aaron, he's spoke today, wrote The Climate Crisis, and he talks about how if you see it, the climate crisis, you can't unsee it. And I'll talk about this in the closing. I was thinking about this today. You also, when you see the goodness in folks, you see the love, the, the ha- uh, literally the halo around you, the halo around me, the halo around Nate here, you can't unsee it too. I think with this deep crisis we have, there is hope in action. And then, and, and I literally walk around the world just looking for folks, you know, who want to help, however you want to help. And I see so many halos. It's like beautiful. Like, I just love it. <laughs> Makes our halos glow a lot brighter to get to make some progress, to see signs that what we're doing actually makes a difference. And indeed it does. And you can, I would think for the rest of your life, look back on this Saturday, August 12th, and just remember the looks on the faces of people because they're not just attending. These are not people that showed up for the CME credits. Yeah. If you look at the smiles on people's faces, if you look at how easily we all connected with one another, how many new connections and new friends that we've made, It is because this work, which is all about all of us, not just us here, but everybody everywhere, how much that brings us together and gives us joy and gives us energy. So as exhausted as I know you are after putting this thing on and probably being up for many, many nights working on this and pulling it all together, it always feels like it's the last minute. I just want you to make sure that you don't forget to acknowledge yourself and to appreciate how much pleasure and joy and connection you have fostered in so many other people today. And it's funny, again, not to bring it back to litter picking, but um, <laughs> when you look at little pieces of plastic, your mind slows down. And honestly, time is slower for me, if that makes a sense. I think this is why my parenting has gotten much better. Like my kids will tell you I'm totally different now than I was before four years ago. And I have enjoyed every moment. And honestly, I've saved all the emails and it's been a beautiful, because sometimes the product is the process, right? It was five months. And today is gorgeous. I mean, it's beautiful seeing like so many beautiful faces, like just coming and had been organ- we'd been organized for so long. But it was the whole process, us linking together, forming the different breakout sessions, pulling in new students. And what I realized is, again, I don't know the answer. I don't think anyone knows the answer to the whole climate crisis, but I know the answer includes all of us, you know, and that's the power. Because I think in terms of physicians, those of us who treat, we, you know, think about, I have 2,000 families I treat, I take care of. I have a lot of people who trust me. And and think of all the, you know, thousands of babies you've delivered, you know, and you are trusted. And I think medicine is such a noble profession. We do the work of good. And to be able to go to medical students and show them that is so beautiful. And honestly, if I can make people smile, I'm happy. And if they kind of think, oh, you know, if it, even if it's as simple as I'm going to, you know, buy something reusable, that's enough, right? But what I realize if, if I ask, I hardly ever had anyone say no. Like, honestly, everyone was here. I said, okay, present, okay. Even though middle of like World Cup, you know, being across, you know, or, or working in the emergency room, but the the yeses are just overwhelming. And they're not saying yes to me. They're saying yes to the community. And San Diego's, I have to say, we're, I, it's a very special community. I, I mean, I, this is my love letter to you, San Diego, um, because it's a community that raised me. Well, a letter has been received, and I also would be willing to bet it's not the last one we're going to get from you. Nate? Yeah, I mean, this this may be like asking a woman who just gave birth <laughs> what her plans are for her next know, child, which is a very uh, loaded and awkward question we asked on a daily basis. <laughs> but uh, you just had this this very, uh, we can say it now, I, I think it's pretty clear, successful event yeah. here. Uh, what one do you have for the future? We're going to have a 
H3 2024? Is there going to be a, a series of these? Yeah. So it, thank you for asking. Honestly, like even with the summit, I had no grand plans. I just knew we need to meet. I think that's the thing. When one has, I thought of as a blank tapestry that we had the space, we had the right people, we had a, generally the topics and that magic was going to happen. And I know it'll happen next year and in probably for the long term because we now have commitment, which I just heard about, which is amazing. Kaiser San Diego has now committed to funding and supporting County um, heard word today that they are willing to support and fund. And UCSD, um, thank you, thank you, Luis, and all everyone. Uh, the development office here is interested. So, you know, we were able to do this for very little. I think the next iteration will be different. But I think because I don't have any grand plans, I really just am enjoying today. But I know the other folks who are thinking the next are thought of it already. And so, and I will be definitely involved and being part of it, you know, so but I think it's going to take a life of its own. And honestly, I do what's fun. Like my climate work is, you know, you, you, we always talk about do the work, do what you're good at, do what brings you joy, do the work that needs doing. And this group is fun. I mean, why wouldn't I want to come back? You know, I mean, this is super fun. So yeah, and everyone, it was all volunteer. There was, it was all volunteer efforts from everyone, which was amazing. But anyway, I know you have a little bit more to do today just to wrap up the conference, but Nate and I, wouldn't have missed this for anything. I think it will be in perpetuity known as the VUN <laughs> Climate and Health Annual Conference. And uh, I hope we can get invitations to it each year. A hundred percent. And I so love seeing this next phase of your life with the podcast. I mean, I'm, I never listened to podcasts before, but I am now a fan. You're the first podcast I'm listening to regularly. So that was a big deal to be on call from others. But now you've taught us we can be on call from Mother Earth. Exactly. Yeah. Mother Earth is very forgiving. So. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Thank you. Well, what an incredible summit we just attended. The Heat and Human Health Summit hosted at the School of Medicine at the University of California, San Diego, and uh, founded and led by our friend and collaborator, Dr. V. Wynn, Dr. Plastic Picker on Instagram. Really wish uh, we, we could kind of really take you, the audience there in person, to gain all the insights that we just did. But hopefully those interviews are kind of a sneak peek into it. And as a, as a coming attraction, we do have several upcoming episodes that will feature uh, extended interviews with people we met at this conference. To bring it to the individual level, because we'd like to give people takeaways for how to be a healthier, happier person, what struck me was how important it is to counsel individuals about the health risks of heat. And maybe the medical community doesn't always do the best job of spelling out exactly where the gradients are for concern. One of the presentations referenced the CDC warning signs for having elevated symptoms from, from heat. The earliest version is called heat cramps, which probably everybody who exercises outdoors has experienced. You'd have uh, some heavy sweating during intense exercise and some, some muscle pain, uh, very common. That does not need to go to the hospital, but, but you should be hydrating more and taking time to cool down. The category that I think we need to talk about is heat exhaustion, because it's a really kind of quick transition from heat exhaustion to heat stroke. And the heat exhaustion, I think, comes on a little more subtly, but it can go quickly from there. So with heat exhaustion, it's not just that you're having sweating, which will happen anytime you're outdoors, but you could be experiencing, in addition to muscle cramps, things like tiredness or weakness, dizziness or headache. Those are pretty common symptoms that I think we don't always attribute to heat exhaustion and therefore, you know, impending heat stroke, or let's just say impending heat complications. So if you're outdoors exercising 
and it's very hot, like it's going to be for most of the summer, which will extend, by the way, through September. So this is not just for July and August anymore. Pay attention. If you start to have some noticeable tiredness, some dizziness and headaches, stop what you're doing, get cool and drink lots of water and basically stop what you're doing until you don't have those symptoms anymore. I know just recently on that golf outing in Puerto Vallarta, I definitely was starting to experience this. I don't know what else could have explained my drive suddenly shafting right and going on to the other fairway. It must have been heat exhaustion. Uh, but, but really, I mean, I was noticeably having headaches and, and feeling just, you know, a little bit, a little bit different than usual on even on whole, you know, 11 or 12. And so we were all of us and our foursome just dousing ourselves with the water, getting towels, dipping it in ice, pouring it all over ourselves. Didn't improve my golf game at all, but uh, it did keep me out of the Medico room in, in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, that's kind of the takeaway. And we'll put the CDC reference in, in the links. I'm so glad you're underlining this because this heat that we're experiencing obviously is in an awful lot of places and not all of them are what you'd normally expect to be the warmer places in the U.S. And also the fact that heat exhaustion can become heat stroke in a hurry and heat stroke is often fatal. It's a really serious complication, something you've got to avoid. And if you're with someone who's particularly vulnerable, like maybe the elderly or children or somebody with a lot of medical issues, watch out for signs. Uh, we'll, pu we'll put the warning signs in the links for the show. But in particular, if somebody becomes disoriented or confused and flushed and they have a rapid pulse, they may be approaching heat stroke and that has to be taken seriously immediately. Thank you for underlining that message. Yeah, I also really loved this Heat and Human Health Summit. I think it was so uh, inspiring to see so many doctors in attendance who were genuinely interested in finding out more information about heat and how it affects the people that they care for. It's always great to be around people that do this kind of work and are interested in learning and incorporating these messages about climate's threats into their practice. I'm going to take us over to a section that we normally call OB 2.0 or OB Plus, which has typically in this podcast been about changes happening in medicine and things for health professionals. But we're going to pivot a little bit this time, and I'm going to call it Citizening 2.0, or how to be a good citizen given the current state of affairs in the world. And this borrows from a podcast that uses that word citizening from a fellow by the name of Baratunde, who gives a very inspiring bunch of podcasts about how to be a good citizen. But what inspired me to talk about all of us and where our roles are going now as citizens as the world changes was because I saw, after coming back from this heat summit, I saw a TikTok video where a, a nice looking woman was talking. Uh, she was recording an episode I guess, for her own TikTok account from her car. She was an, apparently in an electric vehicle, and she was just complaining about how it took time to charge her car. And she actually made the statement that taking a road trip in an electric vehicle is impossible. And frankly, it really made me mad. I've been driving electric cars for 12 years, and I have charged on road trips many, many times and never had a serious problem. Occasionally, there's a bit of delay built in, and certainly charging takes longer than filling up, but not a whole lot. And you know me, in this podcast, I like to talk about win-win stories, but sometimes we have to talk about things that are maybe not necessarily easy to do or immediately beneficial. And one of the presentations that we heard at the Heat Summit was about the ramifications to societies, not just ours in the U.S., but literally around the world, if we hit two degrees Celsius warming, and just how catastrophic, and, and that is not 
an overly dramatic choice of words, just how catastrophic that would be. And we're on our way to that, frankly, if we don't change course. The last episode, Nate, you mentioned uh, temperatures reaching 150 degrees in Syria. And we also have all witnessed lots and lots of pictures and videos of the town of Lahaina, a place that I deeply love, literally exploding in flames. I'm not asking you to believe in climate change. What I'm asking you to do at this point is to believe your own eyes and believe what you're hearing. And what is needed right now from all of us is to do something about this crisis as it unfolds, all of us, every day, something, whatever it is you can do. And frankly, even if it's a bit inconvenient, even if it costs you a little bit of money, if you can afford it, again, frankly, most of these things are not difficult and have lots of co-benefits or immediate improvements to our own quality of life. As I say, I've been driving electric cars for 12 years, and I've never once thought about going back, not just for environmental reasons, but because it's better driving and more fun and much quicker. But we all need to be part of the solution, not just to be a do-gooder. And frankly, there's nothing wrong with being a do-gooder. I think it's kind of cool. But not necessarily just for other people, but literally for our own families, for our children, for ourselves and our own lives. And I was flashing this morning on Spike Lee's movie back in 1989 when he said, do the right thing. I think it's time for us to all get involved with this problem. However it is you want to do it is fine as long as you're part of the solution. And that's the final push. Well, that was quite a prescient film, uh, do the right thing. 20 years ahead of a lot of the headlines we saw in the summer of 2020 were all but predicted by that movie. Although I suppose it was the same story being told over and over again because things hadn't changed. When I was attending the conference and listening to some of the lectures, especially the ones by Adam Aaron, who will be a future guest on this podcast, describing the urgency at the societal and global level to keep our temperature increase in check. You know, we've already exceeded one goalpost of 1.5 degrees. We almost certainly are going to go near two and a lot hinges on staying below that number. I think we find ourselves in a very difficult communication position because we, on the one hand, have to emphasize the urgency and the uh, catastrophe of this trend. At the same time, trying not to sound like we're chicken little saying the sky is falling and being alarmist and recognizing some very real learning curves with the technology. I don't think it's wrong to present a, a nuanced message, but there is some challenges here. Like, for example, I mentioned in the beginning about my hybrid car. Part of the reason I chose that hybrid was that my experience driving the Tesla as a test run the month before was not so perfect. I found myself really struggling to work with the purely kind of screen controls. Bruce, if you remember driving down to the conference, you were calling me uh, <laughs> virtually lost and helpless because your Tesla screen wasn't working and there was nothing to fall back on. You know, so I think people are going to have some real kind of hangups to adapting completely and adapting quickly. And I will also mention that you'll feel better as you make these adaptations uh, and as you become part of the solution. But it's okay even if some of the things are a struggle and they don't necessarily make your life better instantly. We need to do it anyway. And this is where we are and we just have to embrace reality and show up as adults. The kind of world that you and I want to leave behind, Nate, not only for any offspring that we may at some point have, but also for all the patients whose babies we delivered is we want those kids to have a livable future and as beautiful a natural world as we can make it. There are lots of positive things to stretch for and reach for, but in the meantime, it's going to take some effort. That's okay. And I think that's a very poignant message from two OBGYNs who see moms do it all the time. 
when they're changing behavior for the health of their pregnancy. You know, moms will not just do the things that might seem like good health ideas anyway, say, you know, stop smoking because of the pregnancy or stop drinking alcohol. They'll really twist their lives in a knot doing things they don't particularly enjoy, but for the benefit of the children. Uh, so we see examples of them doing it every day. And I think we can also, we, we can all kind of take a, a cue from them in how we behave as citizens. All right. You ready for a drink? I could use a drink. I'm having a Kin Euphorics Spritz, which I've never tried, but I found it at BevMo, and it's uh, nice packaging and a, and a good-sized small can, and I'm pouring it over ice with some Italian parsley. I was waiting for one of us to do to choose the Kin Euphorics. Are you looking forward to a little bit of a mind alteration? <laughs> Is that part of this? It's not. It's not like it's a psychogenic. It's not THC. It's not anything that is uh, banned by the FDA. But they, I think they have like some mushrooms in it. Not not the drug mushrooms, but some actual mushrooms or some other ingredients that are supposed to make you feel just a little, little chill, maybe we say. Yeah, I'm looking at the can and it, it apparently has some natural additives that are supposed to boost my energy and this really tiny writing on this can. I can't even tell all the things that it says, but apparently it has a little bit of caffeine in it too. So I guess I probably will feel a little more brighter and bushy-tailed after having some of this. What are you having? Yeah, okay, so sorry, it's not chill. You'll feel, a little, you'll feel a little buzz, maybe a little perk. I've been looking forward to this one for a while. A phony Negroni, <laughs> which is a mocktail version, of course, of the classic Negroni, one of uh, my favorite drinks. Yeah, kind of like my go-to drinks. Anthony Bourdain loved it. Uh, and I, I loved the description of it because uh, it's only three ingredients, gin, vermouth, and Campari. And he said he doesn't like any of those ingredients separately, but together they work and, and he loves it. This obviously does not have the, the alcohol version of those, but it looks quite similar and let's give it a taste. What do you think? All right, I've got to say, this is by far the closest to the actual taste of the cocktail that I've come across truly blinded i would not know not even blinded if you just served this to me and didn't tell me what it was i would say it's a negroni like just like the leaded real thing and this this i think this happened with a previous drink that was based on a non-alcoholic gin substitute i kind of think that gin might be one of the flavors that is most easy to replicate as a botanical that comes from a juniper bush yeah this this tastes really close how, how about yours it's pleasant it's fruity it's fizzy doesn't have a whole lot of going things going on with it. I think it might be good to combine maybe with something else that had sort of a compatible flavor. It's nice, very nice for a summer day, but uh, it, it tastes almost similar or related to some of the other mocktails we've had so far. Well, you sound much more energized saying it. I feel very energized for our next episode. Uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, a new episode of Green Docs will be out shortly, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. We'll be interviewing the CEO of Maven Health, one of the unicorns in the femtech world, uh, with CEO Kate Ryder. So be sure to tune in for that interview. Find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your listening content, or stop by our website, greendocspodcast.com, where you can check out the show notes, links to the episode. And we've been getting more of these lately. Submit questions, which we'll answer in the next episode. This episode of Green Docs was created by Bruce Bacar and Nate Nicola, and produced by John Beethan of Imagine Podcasting. Check out our website, greendocspodcast.com, where you can like, subscribe, tell your friends while you're hiding somewhere to stay out of the heat. See you soon.